Our scripture this morning is from Acts chapter 6, verses 1 through 10. Hear now the word of the Lord. Now during those days, when the disciples were increasing in number, the Hellenists complained against the Hebrews because their widows were being neglected in the daily distribution of food. And the twelve called together the whole community of the disciples and said, It is not right that we should neglect the word of God in order to wait on tables. Therefore, friends, select from among yourselves seven men of good standing, full of the spirit and of wisdom, whom we may appoint to this task, while we, for our part, will devote ourselves to prayer and to serving the word. What they said pleased the whole community. And they chose Stephen, a man full of faith and the Holy Spirit, together with Philip, Prochorus, Nicanor, Timon, Parmenas, and Nicolaus, a proselyte of Antioch. They had these men stand before the apostles who prayed and laid their hands on them. The word of God continued to spread. The number of the disciples increased greatly in Jerusalem and a great many of the priests became obedient to the faith. Stephen, full of grace and power, did great wonders and signs among the people. Then some of those who belonged to the synagogue of the freedmen, as it was called, Cyrenians, Alexandrians, and others of those from Cilicia and Asia, stood up and argued with Stephen. But they could not withstand the wisdom and the spirit with which he spoke. This is the word of the Lord. We are continuing in our sermon series on the book of Acts, which narrates the earliest days of the Christian church. This morning, we find the church in a bit of a dilemma. It was growing at such a rapid pace that the apostles were not able to keep up with all of the pastoral care needs of the congregation and the Hellenists were beginning to grumble that some of the widows among them were not being included in the church's food distribution program, Meals on Heels. <laughs> now these Hellenists were Greek-speaking Jewish Christians who had grown up somewhere else in the Greco-Roman Empire but had come back to live in Jerusalem. The Hebrews, by contrast, were Jewish Christians who had grown up there in Palestine and who spoke Aramaic. Now, because of the growing numbers of new believers, many of whom the apostles did not know, some of the Greek widows were being uh, neglected and were slipping through the cracks. On top of this, the pastoral care to a growing congregation was simply taking up all of the apostles' time and it was preventing them from spending critical time in prayer and in preaching the good news about Jesus. So they came up with a plan. They invited all the people together, Greeks and Hebrews, and they told them to choose from among them seven men who are full of the Holy Spirit and wisdom who would be appointed at the task to making sure that all of the people were being properly cared for and had enough to eat. So they elected seven men to be deacons, 
who were responsible for this important service. And the apostles came together, they laid their hands on these deacons and prayed over them in what was the first ordination service of the church. I find it incredibly significant that the church's first ordained leaders were commissioned to a humble ministry of service and elected for their wisdom. You know, in this incredibly unstable and uncertain world in which we are living, I think there are a few things more important than good leaders. And like many of you, I think the elections that are coming in the next year will be incredibly important, not only for our country, but for our entire world. And I suspect that what most of us think we need, especially during uncertain times like these, are leaders who are wise. The reality, however, appears to be otherwise. I recently came across an article written about 10 years ago by a former college professor of mine, social psychologist Mark Leary. The title of the article is, Why Don't We Elect Wise Leaders? Dr. Leary says that we all have a, a, an innate sense of assumptions about what a good leader is like. They're intelligent, energetic, moral. But one of the main characteristics that, that most of us claim that we want in our presidents and in other elected officials is wisdom, which at its most basic sense requires a, a set of qualities that will increase the likelihood that a person will make decisions that maximize the greatest good for the greatest number. Now, psychological research has identified three primary characteristics associated with wisdom. First, wise people display an openness, flexibility, and willingness to change directions when necessary, rather than rigidity and closed-mindedness. Second, wise people recognize the limits of their own knowledge and are able to admit that their opinions and perspectives may not always be the best ones and could even at times be wrong. Therefore, they seek out and incorporate ideas and feedback from other people with a range of perspectives. And finally, wise people see the bigger picture and therefore attempt to transcend their own biases and personal interests by working for genuine compromise when conflict arises. Now, all of that sounds perfectly wonderful to us on the surface. The trouble is, is that these characteristics are often directly opposed to the traits that many of us actually seek in our political candidates. Dr. Leary shares the results of a, a Pew Center research poll that showed that, that only 38% of people thought that willingness to compromise was essential in a president. Only 38%. Fully half thought that a president should always maintain consistent positions and be forceful in those positions. And 30% thought that a president should always, no matter what, maintain absolute party loyalty. And remember, this was done 10 years ago with 
the polarization that has increased dramatically in our society, I'm sure that all of those numbers are even more extreme today. Dr. Leary's disturbing conclusion is that many of us are not actually looking for wise leaders because we're seeking traits that are incompatible with wisdom. Dogmatism, rigidity, overconfidence in one's views, and an unwillingness to compromise. What we actually seem to be seeking are generals who will fight ideological battles rather than leaders who will seek wise and effective solutions to the problems facing our country and our world. Where we used to look to our leaders to inspire us to look beyond ourselves and to, and to envision what, what one nation under God ought to be. Well, in our pluralistic culture with our extreme polarization, I'm not sure that we're one nation under any God today except the God of more. We want leaders who will guarantee us more of whatever idol means the most to us. More money, more rights, more freedom, more autonomy, more jobs, more guns, more privilege, more homogeneity, more comfort, more security. Where we once had a leader who inspired us to ask not what our country can do for us, but what we can do for our country, now we tend to seek gladiators who will promise to deliver us a bigger piece of the pie and destroy our enemies, which no longer means hostile foreign countries that want to harm us, but rather fellow Americans who happen to think or vote differently than we do. Not exactly the way to inspire a nation to greatness and unity under God, at least not the God revealed in Jesus Christ. Now, I'm not here to tell anybody how Christians ought to vote in elections. And fortunately, I don't think we have to do any this week, do we? After all, the word of God will not be held captive by any political party, position, or ideology. Rather, it calls all of them into question, especially when they are idolatrous and self-serving as our politics so easily tends to become. And I actually believe that faithful Christians can come to different conclusions about how they ought to vote. But I also believe that as Christians, we should be basing our decisions on something more than just what's in it for me, because that is not what we have learned in Jesus Christ. Remember, our true citizenship is in the kingdom of God, where our ultimate allegiance lies, a kingdom that is about peace and justice righteousness and humility, sacrifice and service, love and forgiveness and truth. But who would ever get elected on that platform today? And yet, it's the true way of wisdom shown to us in Jesus Christ. As the author of James writes, 
the wisdom from above is first pure, then peaceful, gentle, willing to yield, full of mercy and good fruits, without a trace of partiality or hypocrisy. It's the kind of wisdom and the kind of leadership that our nation and our world desperately need these days, especially by those of us who have been called to be heralds of God's coming kingdom. In our text this morning, we find this wisdom from above alive and well in the early church. The apostles were the unquestioned leaders, demonstrating their authority through powerful preaching and miraculous deeds. And it would have been so easy for them to cling to their power and their position and their authority, much like the Sadducees we read about last week. But when the Hellenists raised their concerns, the disciples listened very carefully. And then they humbly decided to make a change and to share the leadership in order to find an effective solution to the problem. Not exactly like all those politicians whose primary job seems to be ensuring their own reelection. But the apostles believe that this ministry of, of service and hospitality was just as important as their preaching. Because the gospel ain't the gospel unless it's being faithfully proclaimed and faithfully lived out. And so they elected these seven men of wisdom to be deacons to lead the church in this important task of making sure that everyone had enough to eat and no one slipped through the cracks. And because of the church's wise leadership, the word of God continued to spread. The number of disciples increased greatly in Jerusalem. Now one of these new deacons was a man named Stephen, who also performed many wonders and signs, and many of the Jews tried to argue against him. But he was so filled with the Holy Spirit and with wisdom that no one was able to stand against him. Like the Jews were so threatened by Stephen that, that some of them told lies about him and managed to get him arrested and brought before the Sanhedrin, the ruling council of the Jews. There Stephen gave a long speech retelling the story of their nation's history, how they had often rebelled against God and how they continued to rebel against the Holy Spirit. For just as their ancestors killed the prophets, so they had murdered the righteous one, Jesus, whose coming the prophets had foretold. Well, when the council heard these words, they all became enraged. But then Stephen looked up into heaven and said, I see the heavens opened and the Son of Man standing at the right hand of God. Well, as you can imagine, that did not go over very well. And in their fury, they dragged Stephen out into the streets and they stoned him to death. 
And thus, Stephen became the first Christian martyr. And one of the great saints of the church on whose shoulders we all stand and who make up that great cloud of witnesses who are cheering us on. Now today is All Saints Sunday. When we gather around the Lord's table to remember and commune not only with Jesus Christ, who is the wisdom of God, but with all those who have died in the faith before us. Some of them have been gone for almost 2,000 years. Some of them died only yesterday. But at this table, we, we find and, and, and meet them again in a, a mysterious way. Beginning with Stephen, they, they have inspired us instructed us, encouraged us, and raised us in the faith, leaving behind a legacy of faithfulness and wisdom from above. Their names are countless. Peter, John, Mary, Barnabas, Paul, St. Augustine, Martin Luther, John Calvin, John Knox, Dietrich Bonhoeffer, Corey Ten Boom, Martin Luther King Jr., Mother Teresa, Billy Graham, Henry Edmonds, John Lukens, Scott McClure, Joe Schreiber, Felix Yarborough, Cindy Coulter, Barbara Walthall, Don and Virginia McCormick, Lathrop, Smith. Nancy Stetler. Robbie Severe. Jim Long. To this list, you can, name, you can add all the names of the saints in your life as well. In a few moments, our choir is going to sing out the names of all of the saints of this church family who have entered into the church triumphant during this past year. If you have lost someone that you love, you need only to come to this table to find them, for they are never lost in Jesus Christ. For here we find them again through the miracle of Holy Communion as they continue to cheer us on to faithfulness and wisdom. Now one day each of us will take our place in that great cloud of witnesses who have gone ahead into the kingdom. I wonder, what will be the legacy that we leave behind? A legacy of self-interest, looking out for ourselves and our own, or a legacy of wisdom through a life of humility and generosity, faithfulness and service, caring for people in need. 
And one of the best ways for us to do that is to make a generous pledge to the mission of Jesus Christ in and through independent Presbyterian Church so that we can continue to grow something that's so much bigger than ourselves. It's nothing less than the inbreaking kingdom of God who is calling all of us to make a difference with our lives and our resources that we might leave this place better, stronger, more impactful than when we got here. And so that we might raise up more disciples who are filled with wisdom from above to be sent out into this broken and hurting world as missionaries in the name of Jesus Christ. The early church grew by leaps and bounds because of their wisdom, their hospitality, their generosity, their commitment to God's word, and their willingness to make changes when necessary under the guidance of the Holy Spirit. And if we are willing to commit ourselves to those same things that I believe, then the same stuff that happened to them is going to happen to us right here at IPC. The word of God will continue to spread. And the number of disciples will increase greatly in Birmingham. That is my dream for this church as your pastor. But whether it becomes a reality, well, that's entirely up to you. In the name of the Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. Amen.